Well, again, good morning. It's good to see you. I can hear the popcorn bags rustling already. As I said, my name is Dustin. I'm the worship pastor here, which is strange because normally the worship pastor is not the one who does the talking. Uh, Pastor Kent, our lead pastor, is on sabbatical right now. And while he is gone, we are going through a series we are calling At the Movies. And today, the movie that we're using as our connecting point is the movie The Greatest Showman. And before we jump there, I want to kind of give you a peek a little bit behind the curtain on this series. When we go through this series, and, and when I, anytime I'm preparing to, to bring the word, to preach, or to teach, my goal is to take the living and active and powerful word of God, an ancient book, and make it make sense on Main Street. Make it have application to us in our normal lives, every day, each and every day, not just inside this room on a Sunday. It's an ancient book, an ancient text. Sometimes it's difficult. But what we do is we use things like illustrations and metaphors to try to help us make sense of of what the text says and how that applies to our lives or impacts our lives. And in this series, we are using these films as, as our illustration. And as an illustration, we're not preaching a movie. If, if you might be disappointed. We're not preaching the movie. We're still preaching the word of God. Preaching the movie would be strange. We're not preaching the movie. And nor are these necessarily movies that you have to have seen to be able to follow. Because we're going to preach the word. And as we preach the word, what we will see is, is that the story, if you know it already, excellent. If you don't, that's okay. You don't even have to like the movies. We picked a variety of, of, of films as we go through them each week. And these films will, some of them you may know, the hope is that maybe you or someone that you invite to come would, would maybe be familiar with it. It can create a connecting point. But that said, this is not a list of movies that are your church's endorsed list of movies for you to watch over the summer. The church is not endorsing these movies, just as with any illustration. This has precedent. For example, Pastor Kent. Our lead pastor loves to use illustrations on the Denver Broncos. I will tell you right now, let let me be as plain and clear as possible. Hutchinson First Church of the Nazarene does not in any way endorse any image or name or likeness of the Denver Broncos. Thank you. (laughs) So there is a precedent there. So you may not want to go out and watch every one of these films. But today we're going to open the word and see what we can find. And to do so, we're going to use the connection point of this movie, The Greatest Showman. This movie is about P.T. Barnum, extremely loosely based upon his life, the man who with Barnum and Bailey's circus. And in this movie, it has a bunch of music. Okay, it's a musical, but give me a break because I don't usually like musicals. But it's a musical and it's one that Maybe you've seen a film and my, my girls loved it when it first came out a handful of years ago. And, and I remember watching it with them and I'm watching and I'm like, that, that's a nice film. But by the end, it like punched me in the chest. Have you ever seen a film like that where it just impacted you? Maybe you've been in church and the pastor is preaching a message and they end the message and you are convinced they were talking right to you. That was this movie for me. And in, the, in that uh, trailer you, you heard but probably didn't catch. There's a line that comes back throughout the movie. It said, it's everything you ever want. It's everything you ever need. And it's here right in front of you. This movie is all about dreams. Dreams. Do you have dreams? 
Like when you're sleeping, do you have dreams? Dreams are strange. I don't usually have dreams. And of course, the night before I'm preaching this message, I had dreams all night last night. It was weird. How many of you, um, I know some people try to analyze their dreams. Like they, 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 they get up in the next morning, usually before I have a cup or two of coffee to wake up, and they want to discuss what this dream might mean. I, my dreams are probably because I woke up and couldn't get back to sleep, or I had a taco too late in the evening. Anybody over 40 know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. So I don't have these amazing dreams. We know from, from history, there have been all kinds of amazing things that have come to people in dreams. The periodic table came to a man in a dream. The sewing machine needle came in a dream. Lots of works of art. Paul McCartney's uh, Yesterday, Rolling Stone's Satisfaction, they came in dreams. I have never once had a dream that, was the, that created anything amazing. And frankly, I'm not gonna tell you any of my dreams because that would be incredibly embarrassing. <laughs> and you're probably not gonna share yours either. But we know there's a different kind of dream, isn't there? There are those dreams, those, those visions, those ideas of, of what we want to see happen in our lives, in our families, in our jobs. Those kinds of dreams that we have. But are these dreams, what do we do with them as a follower of Jesus? If you're seeking to follow Jesus, what do we do with these dreams? And growing up, I usually heard one of two extremes when it came to dreams. One sounded a whole lot like what I remember hearing at school. Chase your dreams. God will give you the desires of your heart. Just chase your dreams. You can do anything you want if you set your mind to it. I will never be seven feet tall. That's a lie. <laughs> but chase your dreams. On the other extreme, it was, no, Scripture never once, and it's true, never once tells us to chase your dreams. It always tells us to seek God and seek him first. And so put behind you the, the immaturity of dreams. And as often is the case, I think the truth is somewhere in between those, those two opposites. Because what we find in Scripture is that God does give dreams. We find God giving dreams to people like Abraham. Abraham longed to have a child. Specifically, he wanted a son. But Abraham, then God comes and changes that dream and says, no, you will be the father of many nations and your offspring will be a blessing to the whole world. The Israelites, the entire people of Israel, they had a dream of the promised land and that dream carried them through some dark days. If we look in the New Testament, Mary and Joseph with a young Jesus, they are warned, Joseph, in a dream by an angel, to leave, to flee to Egypt for safety. So I think we can say God does give dreams. But as you know, not every dream is from God. Sometimes it's a taco. So how do we know though? How do we know when a dream is from God and when a dream is just something that we have imagined up? We could spend weeks just talking about that. But there are a couple questions that I know I have found helpful as I, as I try to ask myself if this dream is from God or not. The first question is, does it line up with his word? Does it line up with the word of God? Every dream from God will line up with his word. And the other question that I think we can ask is, does it draw you closer to him? Now, this one can be tricky because we know that if a dream is from God, it probably is going to require a lot of faith and a lot of trust. And it's not going to necessarily be easy, but ultimately it should draw us closer to him. In the film, 
One of the first scenes we get is a song called A Million Dreams. A million dreams keeping me awake. A million dreams for the world we're going to make. And in this song, we get the story of the life of young P.T. Barnum, Phineas, I'll call him. Phineas was the son of a tailor, and he was not well off. And his father dies, and he becomes an orphan, and he does whatever it takes to make ends meet. But along the way, he has this friend. Her name is Charity. She's a young girl who lives in a family in a completely different socioeconomic class than him. She's very wealthy, and her dad does not approve of young Phineas. But over the years, they, they keep a connection. They write of these dreams that they're going to make together. And one day, sure enough, Phineas is able to marry Charity, this girl. And her dad says, oh, she'll be back. She'll be back. She'll tire of your life, but she'll be back. And they go and they have two young girls who adore their dad and Charity who loves her husband. And, and he ends up in a job that isn't really creative and gets laid off. And with the help of his daughters, he begins to dream again of these dreams that they're going to make because he hasn't created the life that he wanted to create for his family. It's not measuring up. They don't have what he expected them to have. And so he begins to dream again. And his first attempt is that he starts a wax museum. Doesn't work. It flops. Well, his daughters tell him maybe he should try something more alive. So he finds these people that he had had some interactions with some people who were outside the norms of society when he was an orphan. And he brings together the, the bearded lady. He brings in the too tall, too short, too fat, the, the man with hair all over his body, the tattoos, the, the acrobats with, with, of color. He, he brings together the outcasts of society. And he puts them together in a show that they, it becomes this beautiful family. And these people who are usually ridiculed are, are helping people laugh and, and they're bringing joy to people. It, it's, it's really a beautiful sight. And you're thinking as you're watching, this is going to be a really short movie because he just got everything he wanted. He's providing for his family. They have the life that he always wanted them to have. And he's created this beautiful uh, family there of his performers that they're connecting in ways they never could have imagined. I mean, this, this is a short film. Press pause on that for a minute. Because we're going to look at another dreamer. Another dreamer who, oddly enough, has a musical written about him. Joseph. Genesis 37 through 50 gives us the story of Joseph. And I want to give you a little bit of homework this week. I know, homework, right? Go through Genesis 37 through 50. It's not as long as it sounds. And you will read the, the entire story of Joseph. This is a fascinating story. We're only going to hit it at a really high level tonight or today. Uh, but I, I think you will find Genesis 37 through 50 just fascinating how God orchestrates things in Joseph's life. We're going to read about his dream starting in Genesis 37. It says, now Israel, also known as Jacob, this is Joseph's dad, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ordinate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. 
His brother said, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. This is not the picture of the biblical family that we want to model our lives after. Jacob, also known as Israel, plays favorites and his kids know it. That's not a good parenting advice. Don't play favorites. And if you do, don't let the others know about it. Just a thought. Joseph, what we learn about Joseph, sometimes they talk about his coat of many colors. He may have had a coat of many colors, but he was not the brightest crayon in the box. If your brothers already hate you, don't tell them your dream about them bowing down to you. So what does he do? He has another dream and he tells them again. This is not going well. And so his brothers already hate him. He has this dream. And apparently Joseph doesn't even have to work because his brothers are out with the flocks and Joseph's dad sends him out to his brothers and this happens. But they, his brothers, saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Hmm. Joseph's dream is about to become a nightmare. He ends up not being killed. His brothers don't kill him. They, they throw him in the cistern and then they, they sell him to some Midianite traders who are on their way to Egypt. Being a slave in Egypt is a far cry from being bowed down to by your brothers. Today, we're not just gonna talk about dreams. I wanna look at the dark side of the dream. Because there's a dark side of the dream. There's a gap between when a dream is revealed and when it's realized. And what do we do in that in-between time? And in that in-between time, some things happen. And today we're gonna look at a couple of things that can happen in that in-between, between when the dream is revealed and when the dream is realized that, that can cause us to be in the dark side of the dream. Because we wanna know that the dream is from God, but we don't want the dream to become God in our life. And so the dark side of the dream that we're going to look at today, there are, a couple, there are several that we could look at, but we're going to look at uh, disappointment and distortion. First, with disappointment. To be disappointed literally means to undo an appointment. You have an 8 a.m. flight in Wichita. You get up at an obscenely early time to be at the airport way too early. You get there only to find out that the airline has canceled your flight. You have been disappointed. You have had an appointment undone. For Joseph, this dream looks nothing like what he had expected. It, and it only gets worse. He ends up being sold to Potiphar. Potiphar is a, a, a government official in Egypt. And he works in Potiphar's house. And things are going okay, as okay as being a slave in Potiphar's house could be. Until Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph, she makes an advance on him, he turns her down, so she decides that she's going to accuse him of making an advance on her, and so he finds himself in prison. He did nothing to deserve it, but he finds himself in prison. Now, the text doesn't tell us at all really what Joseph is thinking or feeling in this, but I wonder if Joseph is feeling really disappointed. Really disappointed, like maybe he missed something. But what the text does tell us 
that I think can be helpful to us in disappointments. In Genesis 39, verse 2, it says that when Joseph was taken to Potiphar's house, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And again, similarly, when he was in prison, it says that while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Do you think Joseph knew that God was with him? My guess is I think he did at least to some extent because he's just being faithful with the opportunity in front of him and he's finding favor all along the way. What would happen for us? What would it look like for us in those moments when we're feeling disappointed, like we have missed an appointment, to know that God is with us in that? Because I think what often happens is, is we feel disappointed, like we have missed an appointment, and in that, we feel like we have missed God. And so then we're, we're doubly disappointed because we feel like we've missed this opportunity and God is not with us. What would it look like if we knew that God was with us? The good news is that if you are a follower of Jesus, if he is the Lord and Savior of your life, you are seeking to follow him, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. His presence is with you. And Jesus, in his own words in, in Matthew 28, the very last sentence Jesus says is that he will be with us to the very end of the age. And I believe that's a promise we can hold on to, that even in the midst of a disappointment, even when we feel like we have missed an appointment, maybe even a divine appointment, that God is still with us. That God has not left us. He hadn't left Joseph. See, the dreams are often going to come with disappointment. And sometimes that disappointment causes the dream that was from God to become God in our lives. That's the dark side of the dream. And so pause on Joseph. Back to Phineas, back to Barnum. When we left him, it seemed like everything was going great. Like everything, the dream is fulfilled. End of movie, roll the credits. But something's bubbling up under the surface. And it comes to a head because Phineas has been experiencing a lot of opposition and if there's one thing that I can tell you about dreams, dream, even dreams from God, is that if you have a dream from God, you will face opposition. You might even face it from places you don't expect. You might face it from your church family. You might face it from your own family. And for Phineas, he was consumed with this opposition. His brother, or his brother, his father-in-law, his father-in-law did not accept him. And he so desperately wanted his father-in-law to accept him. There's a newspaper critic that actually gives him the label circus. And so he kind of tries to play with this critic, but the critic has called him a fraud. And it slowly eats at him. The high society of New York is not, they're not a fan. They, they ridicule him. There are protesters outside of the show all the time. They want their freaks out of New York City. Things have changed. Um, But he has all of this opposition. And then it comes to a, a head at his daughter's ballet because his daughter, one of his daughters has always wanted to do ballet. And this dream is finally being realized, but something happens right after the performance that I think causes a switch to flip for Phineas. Watch this little scene. Ew, what's 
that smell? Do you smell that? Ew, something does smell. Oh, I know what it is. Peanuts. <laughs> I can see it right now. Youngest prima ballerina in the history of the city ballet. I'm quitting. What? Why would you quit? I started too late. I'll never catch up. Caroline, you were the best dancer on that stage. What, do you think I can't spot talent? Ballet takes years of hard work. It's not like the circus. You can't just fake it. She can't quit. No, I mean, she just, she just feels out of place with the other girls. Well, I should certainly hope so. I've never seen so many little prima donnas in my life. Yeah, but those prima donnas are the most important thing in the world to her right now. She'll learn to ignore them, just like I did. She shouldn't have to. New York society will never accept us. If they did, they'd have to stop judging and actually do something with their lives. This isn't about me. Oh. So it's different than everything else, then? I just wanted to be proud of who she is, of a family. Uh, she is proud. We don't have to be the Carlisles. A switch is flipped for Phineas. He says it's not about him. His wife is, is wise. She knows. It's become about him. He's disappointed because he's realized this dream, but this dream is not fulfilling this place in him that he wants this dream to fulfill. He's disappointed. And that disappointment leads to the next section that we're going to look at, distortion. It leads to this other side, dark side of the dream because this dream from God becomes a God so quickly when the dream becomes about us. And for Phineas, it was so much, so overtaking that he just wanted to earn the respect. He nearly loses everything. He turns his back on his family, on his, on his work uh, family, and he begins to, to try to earn this respect. And there's a song in the, the film called Never Enough, and that's what's going on for Phineas. There, there will be never be enough for him. The challenge for Phineas is that he has an orphan heart. Yes, he had been an orphan in his life, but we don't have to be an orphan literally to have a bit of the orphan heart show up in our lives. In fact, I would say that we all do in some way or another have this orphan heart show up. What I mean by this, if we picture kind of the traditional image of an orphanage, you, you, you tell the kids, okay, go put on your best clothes and be on your very best behavior. And then if you're good enough, you might get picked. You might get picked. I grew up in Nickerson. Does anything good come from Nickerson? And I can laugh about that. But you want to know that when you're 16 years old and you're growing up in Nickerson, there's a little bit of truth to that, isn't there? For us, we live in flyover country. Even that term just kind of makes me bristle. Like flyover country. How dare you coastal elites put us down? We're better than you are. Our house values are at least realistic. Um, I mean, uh, talking to, to Pastor Nate, he couldn't believe the way we as Chiefs fans react when we lose. Because it's not just that we didn't play well enough, it's that the ESPN coastal bias is very real. Mm -hmm. The orphan heart shows up. We see it in scripture. 
the disciples, they are with Jesus. The disciples are like this small group with God. And they argue over who's the greatest. Moses, he has God encounter him at the burning bush, telling him what he's, he needs him to do. And Moses is like, no, 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 I can't, no. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. We see it time and time again. We see it in the story of Joseph, but not with Joseph himself. We see it with his brothers. They knew that Joseph was the favorite son. And so they had this orphaned heart. Jesus knew that we would have this tendency for this orphan heart. And as he is telling his disciples that he is about to leave, he's about to be crucified, but he is going to send the Holy Spirit. And in that account, he says in John 14 that I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. And just as it was true that God is with us, even in the disappointment, the reality is that for those in Christ, you are not an orphan. If he is your Lord and your savior, you have been adopted into his family. It's an adoption that does not have papers that could just be ripped up at any time because of bad behavior. It is an adoption where you are his and there is nothing that can separate you from the love of the father. You are a child of God. See, the challenge of the orphan heart is the orphan heart says that I must do something in order to have something so that I can be something. And everything is just clawing to try to be something. And the heart of a child of God says, no, I already am. I am a child of God. Therefore, I already have everything I need. And so I can do because I already am. Joseph might not have had the orphan heart like his brother showed, and it might not have been like Phineas had, but his distortion was the same. For Phineas, it was that the dream became about him and consumed him. Joseph, that same distortion shows up right at the beginning. His dream is that his brothers will bow down before him. They will bow. He will have the power. One of the quickest ways for a dream from God to become our God is to begin to believe that it's about us. So Joseph, he gets out of prison because he can interpret dreams. And Pharaoh has a dream. And this dream is about a famine that's about to come on Egypt. And so Joseph interprets the dream for Pharaoh and then says, and here's what you should do. And Pharaoh's impressed with him. And so Pharaoh puts him in charge of the famine preparations and the distribution of food. And Eventually, his brothers in their own land, they need food too. And so they come, and they come to Joseph, and it says in the text, now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. He sees the dream right there. Joseph sees his dream realized right in that moment. His brothers bow down before him. If you read through Genesis 37 through 50 this week, you'll see that there's some, some drama that plays out after this. Joseph kind of plays with them a little bit. They don't recognize him. He recognizes them though. And so after some, some little drama there, there's a reunion. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and he's reunited with his father. But then his father dies and his brothers think, oh, we have it coming to us now. But then Joseph tells them this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 
See, in the beginning, his dream was that his brothers would bow down before him, that the power would be his. But in the reality of the dream was that it was about him saving and serving his family. Any dream from God, it is for you and it will involve you and it's going to impact your life. But any dream from God is for you, but it's not ultimately about you. Any dream from God will be for us, yes, and it will change our lives, yes. But ultimately, a dream from God is not about us. It's about something bigger. For Joseph, it was saving and serving his family. For, for Phineas, for Barnum, it was actually his family that, that helped him off the brink of failure. His business goes up in flames, and it's that performing troop of family that he has put together that comes and helps him realize that the dream that he had had was right there in front of him. He didn't need what he thought he needed in his life, that the dream wasn't really about him. He had created two amazing families. So what do we do? What do we do in those moments in between the dream when it's revealed and the dream when it's fully realized? Because it gets tough. And these aren't necessarily scripture ideas, but I, I just, what, what has been on my heart to share is the first thing that maybe I would suggest is maybe it's time to reevaluate, to take a step back and, and evaluate, has the dream that we believed was from God become a God in our lives? Have we given in to the disappointment and the distortions of the dream? And do we need to just kind of check and make sure that we are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? as Matthew 6.33 tells us, and all these other things, they'll be added later. But the other thing, and the one and why this movie hit me so hard, don't miss the beauty of the dream right in front of you. Don't miss the beauty of the dream right in front of you. See, I'm, as a dad, as, as, as a person, as a human, there's an ambitious side of us. And so often life starts to look like this. Once this happens, then this will happen. For example, once the kids are old enough, then we'll be able to really enjoy life. Once we don't have to worry about diapers, then we'll have more money. Actually, that one was true. Once we don't have this problem in our lives, then we can live. But the problem is that we get this future date out there and we get to the future date and there are still future dates out there. And we're never really living in the moment or in the beauty of the dream that is right in front of us. And this happens with Phineas. And this last scene just kills me because he leaves the show early. They've rebuilt the show. He leaves it early. He hands it off to his partner and he goes to watch both of his daughters in the ballet. And this line, it's everything you ever want. It's everything you ever need. And it's here right in front of you comes right back.
miss the dream right in front of you. See, it's not hard. It's not hard to find the, the things in life that don't seem right. It's not hard to watch through these films and say, oh, that's, that's not correct. That seems not good. I don't, that's not appropriate. That's not good. We can find what's not right in the world around us. We can find it in our lives too. And we can begin to believe that every part of life is a mess. But the psalmist writes that the earth is filled with the glory of God. It may not be easy. It may not be exactly as we picture it, but there is a beautiful dream right in front of you. I don't know what it is for you. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. And I know for some of you today, even just talking about dreams, it makes you kind of squirm in your seat. For some of you, maybe it's, it's, maybe it's a medical thing. Maybe it's being a single parent and how hard that is. Maybe there's just something in your life that you don't feel like it's the way you want it to be. I hope you find Matthew 7 encouraging where Jesus says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We sang about it earlier. Your good, good father knows what you need. He is not holding out on you. He has begun a good work in you and he will see that good work through to completion. Trust him. Rely on him. Take that next step of faith with him. And don't miss the beauty of the dream right in front of you. Let's pray together. God, I'm so thankful that you're with us in the midst of, of life that you have not left us. You will not leave us or forsake us. And so God, today I pray for those of us who, who have these dreams that we don't know what to do with. God, would you help us to see them through your eyes? Would you help us to have a perspective that allows us to see the, not just the, the hope for the future, but the beauty right now of the life that you have given us and the opportunities that you have put in front of us right now. God, I pray for those who, who today are, are hearing this and thinking, I, I need God's presence in my life. I need him with me in the disappointment. I need to know that I am a child of God. I am adopted into his family. God, I pray that today would be the day that they say, I, Jesus, I choose to follow you. That I turn from the way I've been walking my own way about where the dream is about me and I turn to you because it's ultimately not about me. God, would you be our Lord and our Savior? God, I pray that somebody would make that decision today. And God, through it all, that you would help us to trust you, that you are our good father. You are the one who has placed dreams on our hearts. And you are the one who is going to see those dreams through to completion. You are the one who is going to be at work in our lives, even when it feels like everything is all unhinged, that you are the one. You are the one we trust. And you're the one we're going to give honor and praise to because you and you alone are worthy of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me today? I hope you have a fantastic weekend and the rest of your week. Next Sunday is Father's Day. Invite the dads. We will have Andrew Stanley, comedian here uh, during the service times, during both services. I think you'll really enjoy that. It's a great time to, to also be encouraged and to, to laugh together. Have a fantastic week.